Hey, good morning, family and friends. How are we this morning? Good. Ready for winter. All right. I told, last night, I'm telling you, I was texting staff, and um, it was raining, and I'm kind of like, uh, so should we cancel the baptisms at the church camp out? There's nine of them. Um, and, you know, I'm thinking, you know, lightning and such that, you know, but really, selfishly, I don't want to be in glacial water for nine baptisms. So I'm like, you know, some of you can do baptisms too, you know, and um, so anyways, uh, hopefully they'll rise to the challenge next year. Uh, but I tell you what, if I have to get in glacial water to have baptisms, then praise God, right? I shouldn't whine and complain. All right, so this morning we're going to finish up our, our study through the book of Hosea. We're wrapping it up. And uh, so if you would please turn your Bibles or your phone apps to Hosea. It's right after Daniel in the Old Testament. And before we begin, we've been memorizing a verse together uh, that's really a basis, encapsulates Hosea, and that's Proverbs 3, 10 through 11. So if you wouldn't, or 11 through 12, if you wouldn't mind repeating this after me. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, and do not loathe his rebuke, for the Lord disciplines those he loves, just as a father disciplines and he delights. Thank you. The book of Hosea is really about God going to his people who've strayed from him. They've turned from him. They no longer consider their God the only God. They've taken other gods and put them aside, the one true God, and they've fallen away from God. And a lot of the times we're tempted to see in this, this is them, not us, but Really, all of us are prone to wander. All of our hearts are prone to fall away from the God we love. Matter of fact, there's a story of a guy named Robert Robertson in the 17th century in Britain. He was converted in his early 20s to Christianity under the preaching of George Whitfield. And a couple years later, he decided to dedicate his life to ministry, and he became a pastor. In his late 20s, he ended up writing a hymn, and many of you know it, it's Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. But Robert Robinson, even though he was a pastor, drifted away from God later in his life and was no longer pastoring, and one day when he was older, he was walking down the road in a carriage, it was on a Sunday, a carriage stopped by and the woman in the carriage said, would you like a ride? So Robert got in, and she asked him for his name, naturally, and he said, my name's Robert Robinson, and she says, oh, now that's interesting. I was just reading in a uh, poem and hymn book uh, this morning, and there was an author by this name of a song that was written, and she turned to the page in the, the poet, poetry book, the hymn book, and she, she said, is this you, and handed him the book, and he said, yes, without looking at it, that was me. And he started reading it. And at the end, he got to this phrase at the very end, and he started crying. He read, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And he looked at her and he said, you know, I not only wrote this, I've lived it. And she, understanding what was happening, looked at him and she said, but did you know you also wrote Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it for thy courts above. 
there's still time to turn back. And Robert Robinson turned back to the Lord and served him for the rest of his days. You know, there is a thought in Christianity that if you become a true Christian, you will never stray. The problem with that thought is it neglects tons of parables about sheep and the 99 and the one that God or that Jesus goes after who has strayed from the flock. They were a part of the flock, they've gone away from the <laughs> There's all these illustrations of people in the Bible who were true believers that strayed from God. Abraham lies about his wife being a sister twice. Then his son lies about his wife being his sister. And it just, it goes on and on. We, we are prone to wander, prone to leave the God we love. We're prone to trust in our own works and to slip away from God. This is not only true of Robert Robinson's life, this is true of all of us. When I was a little boy, my, my dad had left when we were three. When I was three, my sister was uh, six. And my mom raised us as a single mom for years. And during those years, we went to church. I remember going to Sunday school. I don't know why, but Jesus always wear the blue sash. Not sure why, but all the books had the blue sash. And I remember these things. I remember sitting at the table. I remember flannel graphs. You remember flannel graphs? Say, what is a flannel graph? Go look it up. I'm not going to explain it to you. But, but I remember these things in the Sunday school room as I was five years old, four years old. I remember these things. And I remember we went to church with mom when she was single. And then mom met a guy um, when I was about seven, and he was an atheist. And she moved into his house, our family into his house, and we lived with him. And, and, and when I was 12, I actually received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. My mom started coming back to church. And then when I was 16, I got involved in drugs and fell away from the faith until I was 22. And the real question is, when was I saved? That's not the question. The question is, do I follow Jesus today? The question is, do I pursue him today? Because my heart's always prone to wander. I do believe I'm saved, once saved, always. I do believe in eternal security. I don't believe you can lose salvation. But at the same time, we do drift. We do drift. Christians wander from our faith. And God this morning is going to show us how he turns us back to himself. When we wander, how does God turn us back to himself? God has been dealing with his people, Israel. And Israel is now in slavery. They are now in Assyria in in Hosea chapter 14, God is actually talking to them as they're in slavery, and he's still giving them hope. He's still telling them it's not too late. And this morning, we're going to see how God turns us back to himself when we wander. How does God do this? Well, the first thing we find is God causes us to feel the full weight of our sin. God causes us to feel the full magnitude of how when we drift from him, we isolate ourselves and we, we become oppressed and enslaved by our sin. Notice what happens here in verse 1. God says this, Return, Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Now what's interesting about this is that there's two groups of people in here. There's people who are Christians and people who are curious about Christianity. You really haven't made a decision. You're kind of on the fence, and that's okay. We're so glad you're here. And I want to first address Christians, because as Christians, we can fall away. 
We know that once we were saved, we received the Holy Spirit as our Savior. We know that God lives in us. But it's not, see, the problem is, is that God didn't remove the sinful nature from us. He gave us the power to say no to the sinful nature. But he didn't remove the sinful nature from us, which means we have the ability to listen to the wrong voice. And when we listen to the wrong voice, we fall away. Notice what he says here. He says, return, O Israel. Now, I want you to replace this Israel with your own name. Return, Jason, to the Lord your God, for your sins are the cause of your downfall. You can put your name in here because it's true of all of us. What does this word downfall mean? In Hebrew, this word literally is a trap set for you that causes you to stumble into the trap and you can't get out. This is what happens when we follow the desires of our flesh and don't listen to the Holy Spirit. We become enslaved to sin again. But if we're caught in a trap of sin, by the way, you know when you are. You know when you're on an, a, a binge of sin, like I like to call it. There are three questions we really need to ask ourselves as Christians. Here, here's the three, because these three would cause us not to fall into a trap. Here's the first question. We need to ask, what am I eating? I know that sounds weird, doesn't it? We talk about appetites. What do you crave? When you go to the store, don't go to Costco hungry. Have you noticed that? Why would you ever go to Costco hungry? Because you can't get out of there without spending $500. It used to be $200. Now it's $5. I don't know why. It happens every time. Like, how did we spend that much, honey? It's because we were hungry. See, what happens is, is our desires cause us to seek. And a lot of the times we seek something other than God. And, and, and how do you avoid seeking something other than God? You have to eat vegetables. I'm kidding. You have to eat what God wants us to eat. And this is really important because... We don't want to. It's, it's the easiest thing to do, to read God's word, to study it. Can I, can I have whoever has the voice thing on? Can you turn it down just a little bit? Because I'm hearing my voice and it's disturbing. Uh, it causes me to not focus just a little bit. So when we hear God's voice, how do we hear God's voice? Well, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, but that's not all. We actually need the word of God to lead us and guide us. And uh, that's hard. It's hard. It's the easiest thing in the world to set aside time to, to read God's word. And it's the hardest thing. Because here's what we do. We rely on our past successes and victories in God to pull us through the current day. Listen, there's nothing uh, wrong about remembering our past victories. But we need to actually remember... That God wants us to experiencing him today. He wants us to experience him today. I had a, pa a pastor and professor friend of mine for my doctorate studies. His name was Don Sanukian. And Don is a world-renowned uh, pastor, author, speaker. And he used to say this to us. He said, guys, quit trying to preach home-run sermons. You're only going to preach those five or six times in your entire career. Instead, focus on preaching sermons that feed the people. 
Because no one is going to sustain themselves on home run sermons. You see, there is no nutritionist worth their weight who would ever say the best way to lose weight is to not eat. No one ever says that. And no other pastor would ever say the best way to live a Christian life is to remember that one sermon 30 years ago. In fact, (laughs) the way to fall away from God is to put our faith on what happened in the past instead of knowing that God wants us today. What voice am I following? Do I have a steady diet of God's word when you came here to Sunday? What did you expect when you're sitting in the pews? What do you expect when you sit in the chairs? Here's what I expect when I come to church. I want to encounter God. Why? Because I'm hungry. Because I need to hear from him. And if I don't hear from him, guess what I'm going to hear from? Myself. The world. My appetites. I'm going to go spend $500 at Costco. Second question we need to ask when we're caught in a trap of sin. Who am I keeping company with? You've heard this uh, colloquial phrase. uh, The birds of a feather flock together. You never see a raven and an eagle making peace. It just doesn't happen. You, 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 when you look at people, and this, this is really interesting, when I was a teenager, I would try to convince my parents that I was the good kid and my friends were the bad kid, but I kept on hanging out with my friends, which meant I was the same. You see, uh, they weren't dumb, by the way. They knew, and, and, and neither am I as a parent. Who, who my kids hang around, that's who they are. And, and it's true that us as Christians, if we expect to be spiritually mature, we should have friends that are a little bit more mature than us that we can model our faith after. But if we say, you know what, I believe in Jesus Christ, but all Christians are hypocrite, therefore I don't like them. There's something really wrong about that. In a sense, what we're saying is, I love Jesus, but I hate his bride. Have you read 1 John? If we claim to love God but hate our brother, he is not in us. Oh, how okay. Ooh, I don't have this in the sermon, but let's look at this one. First John, listen to this. This is this is important. I'm gonna preach this in a few weeks. First John chapter one, verse five. Listen to what it says. This is the message we've heard from him and declare to you. God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with God and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live in the truth. Now listen to this verse. But if we walk in the light as he in the light, we'll have fellowship with one another. Why do people abandon their Christian friends? It's not because their Christian friends are hypocrites. Everybody knows that. Besides, they look in the mirror, and if they're honest, they're hypocrites too. Everybody knows that the reason why people uh, abandon their Christian friends is because their Christian friends are calling them out on their sin. (laughs) Let me ask you something. If you had a choice to choose two different types of gyms, which would you choose? The first gym, you could pay the same amount of money, by the way, for each gym. The first gym you go to, and you get membership, and they say, okay, you can come whenever you want. Come and go whenever you want. You can use any equipment where you want, but we're not going to offer you any trainer. 
It's this price. The second gym says, you know what? You can come anytime you want. And every time you come, we will provide a personal trainer for you for the same price as that other gym. Which one are you going to succeed more at? It's the one where the people call you when you don't come. It's, it's the one where the trainer says, hey, no, no, do it this way. It's a bit, but this one's the annoying one. No one wants to go to this one. Why? Because they're interested in your growth. On this one, no one cares. Let's not be a church where people come and go and no one cares. Let's be a church that's intentional. Let's not be Christians where we think, oh, we're just slipping in and out and never involved ourselves in relationships. Why? Because what we're doing is we're saying we don't want people to know who we truly are. We need to have relationships with other Christians. So we need to ask ourselves, what, what are we eating? Um, who are we keeping company with? And number three, uh, we need to ask, whose voice am I following? You see, I know this is a Bible church. We preach, you need to know the Bible. And, and yes, I agree. We need to know the Bible. This is God's word to us. But do you know God lives inside of us too? The Holy Spirit speaks to us. We're supposed to listen to him every day and follow his voice. And, and uh, we don't preach this much because it's so subjective and there's so much controversy on it, but it's really a tragedy that we don't preach about the fact that we have a Holy Spirit and he's talking to us. You ever wanted to do something and there was a little voice inside of you who said, don't do it? You see, Paul says this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, that God has given us the spirit and the flesh so that we do not do what we want to do. In other words, every time you want to fall in that trap of sin, there's something in you that says, don't do it. And that's the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit also prompts us, says, go talk to that person. Do we follow? Do we do it? John 16, 13 says, when the spirit of truth comes, this is Jesus, whenever the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He's our guide. He directs us. Now I want to talk to non-Christians here. There are some of you here that are just exploring Christianity. You're not sold that Jesus is the only way. And you're so welcome here. But I want to explain how this verse relates to you. It says, return, fill in your name to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. What does this look like? And I'm not going to candy coat or sugarcoat this to you. I'm going to be very real with you because I respect you and think you should be told the truth very real, okay, in a graceful and loving way. Here's the truth. God is against you if you're not a Christian. He's against you. You say, what do you mean he's against me? What I mean is he loves you, but he is angry at your sin because you're still under the wrath of God. You say, what do you mean? I've always heard God is love. And he is. God is love. But a person who loves someone is also going to pay back someone who does evil to another person. You can't have one without the other. And what the Bible says is that all of us are sinners. All of us deserve God's wrath. Matter of fact, look at this. Hosea chapter 6. It's interesting we skip over all these verses, isn't it? Hosea chapter 6. Notice what he says here. Come, let us return to the Lord. That sounds familiar. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. You see, it's both. Until we recognize that our sin has offended a holy God, we won't turn to God and realize what he's offering. 
We can't say, God, forgive me without realizing that we've sinned against him. We can't say, God, I need your grace. What does the word grace mean if you eliminate sin? You see, grace means unmerited favor. That you don't deserve it, but he gives it to you anyways. Well, if sin isn't sin, then you don't deserve it. No, you deserve everything. You see, the point is, is that God is holy. And we never quote this, by the way, John three sixteen. Everybody knows this verse. For God so loves the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. No one memorizes John, or John 3, 36. No one memorizes it. Look at what it says. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. No one memorizes that one. And and here's what I'm saying. My good friend, if you're seeking Christianity, you you really haven't made a decision about it. Uh, Don't wait too long, because God's wrath is still on you, yet... He loves you so much that he's given his son and poured out his wrath on his son for you. But I don't know if you're like me. If you got to Christmas and there's a gift wrapped under the tree and you keep it there and you never unwrap it, then you never received it. It has to be received by faith. And um, this reminds me of a story. C.S. Lewis, the master literary genius of the last... uh, Century wrote uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, and in the Chronicles of Narnia, many of you have watched the movie or read the book. There's this book called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And in this book, there is a lion, and his name is Aslan. And Aslan, we all know that C.S. Lewis has written him to be an allegory for Christ. And there are four kids in this book, the Pavinsky kids. And uh, all of these creatures in Narnia, and all of them are animals that talk and walk. And Susan uh, once goes to Mr. Beaver and finds out that Aslan is a lion. And she says this, I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Is he safe? And Mr. Beaver replies, (laughs) safe? He's a lion. He's not safe. (laughs) But he is good. Later on, we see what this looks like because one of the four kids, Edmund, has betrayed his three siblings and has gone against Aslan and joined the white witch who allegorically represents Satan. And Aslan has to die for the sin of Edmund. And when Aslan rises again, we see that Edmund comes to Aslan and Aslan the lion roars at him in front of him. And Edmund hits the ground. And then when he hits the ground, the lion comes peacefully and talks to him. That is salvation. That's what we have to do in our heart. We have to realize our God is a lion. He's against our sin. He's roaring at us. But as soon as we hit our knees, it's peace. Because we put him in his rightful place. We believe in him and trust in him and approach him. How dare people approach God as if he's man. He's holy. He's righteous. When we wonder how does God turn us back, God causes us to feel the weight of our sin. When we wonder, there's a second thing God does to turn us back. God calls us to confess our dependence on him. (laughs) 
We're supposed to have confession. Maybe not booths. Uh, But it's very clear here, God expects his kids to confess. Notice what he says to them in verses 2 through 3. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all of our sins and, and receive us graciously, that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses. We will never again say our gods to what our hands have made. For in you the fatherless find compassion. Now, what is he saying? He's saying here, when you realize that you're encaptured or you're, you're enslaved to your sin, you've fallen away, I want you to turn back and I want you to confess to God the truth. Now, notice here what it says. You, it's hard to see this in the original translation, but he says in verse 2, forgive all of our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. In Hebrew, that literally means that we may offer the praise of our lips as sacrificial bulls. It's specifically what it's saying. Now, what, what does he mean by that? What he's saying is, I don't want you to come sacrifice animals. I would rather you have a broken spirit and be humble and admit what you've done. That's what it's saying. Matter of fact, it reminds us of King David after he committed his sin with Bathsheba. And in Psalm 51, he reflects like a journal with his experience with God. And listen what he says in Psalm 51, 16. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite God or heart you, God, will not despise. In other words... God wants us to humble ourselves and name our sin. There's two ways to do this, two ways that confession makes our heart humble, and we see that here. First, confession takes responsibility. (laughs) You ever heard someone say, I'm sorry you feel that way? Listen, that's not confession. That's, I'm sorry I got caught, or I'm sorry that you're wrong, or I'm like, and we do that. We, we, it's so hard to say I'm sorry. How many people love apologizing to your spouse? It's not cool. I don't like it. I do it way too much. She never does it. And it's not her fault. I'm the one who's always wrong. But uh, we, we don't like saying I'm sorry. It's just our pride gets in the... But here's the deal. When God went to Adam in the Garden of Eden, and he says, how did you know that you were naked? Who told you? Did you eat from the tree? Adam, what did he do? He confessed. It was the woman you gave me. He totally deflect responsibility. What should he be doing? Why didn't Adam say, God, I knew it was wrong. I stood there watching her eat the apple and, and this, well, apple, whatever it was. And, and I let her do it the whole time. Didn't intervene. I'm wrong, just as wrong as she is. He didn't do that. And uh, we, we tend to do that. And my question is, why do we do that? Why do we do that? Like, and I'm just, I'm just asking myself that. Why do I do that? Why, when I'm caught in a sin, don't I just come out right and say it? It's because I'm afraid it's going to be used against me. I'm convinced that's why we don't do that with our spouses. That's why we don't do that with our bosses. That's why we, as soon as we're caught in a sin, we deny it, we avoid it, we deflect responsibility. Why? Because we know humans when in our past we've revealed our struggles and they've used those struggles to enslave us 
and talk bad about us to other people. Listen, God is not man. The truth is, when we confess our sins, God is faithful and righteous to forgive us of all our sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's 1 John 1.9. So, so my question is, why don't we confess sooner? You see, when we get in trouble is, is when we have a hidden sin and we keep it hidden for years and years and years and years and years. And God's voice has been annoying us for years and years and years. And then all of a sudden, we get found out. And now it's terrible. Why not just confess up front? Why wait this whole time? It's because we believe God is actually going to punish us more when we confess. Listen, God already knows it. <laughs> He's not going to punish you anymore. Uh, we need to come out with it. There was uh, once this... Uh, king, his name was Frederick the Great, king of Persia. And Frederick the Great, uh, this is 17th century again, he had a prison, he had many prisons in his kingdom. He went to go visit one of his prisons one day and he went to each cell. And every cell he went to, the prisoners fell down to their face because they recognized the king. And, and every single prisoner, every single cell he went to, your majesty, your majesty, I am falsely accused. I should not be in here. I did not do what they told, they said that I did. And eventually, after many, many people, he got to one cell. And the guy fell on his knees, on his face. And he didn't say a word. And King Frederick was a little bit perplexed. And he said, uh, what are you in here for? And the guy looked up to the king and said, your majesty, I'm in here for armed robbery. And the king, the king was like, well, did you do it? And the man said, yes, I did it, and I deserve everything that I've gotten. King Frederick looked at his attendants and said, get the key and get this man out of here. I will not have a guilty man like this corrupting all these innocent people. <laughs> That's what God does. We think hiding and protecting we're getting away. Oh, no, no, we're delaying. We're delaying suffering. When we come out with it, he heals us. And uh, we need to be careful about that. We, confession takes responsibility. The second thing that confession does is confession confirms faith in God. Notice this in verse 3. Notice what they're doing. He says, he's telling them to say this. I want you to say, forgive us of our sins, receive us graciously. Then I want you to say, Assyria cannot save us. War horses cannot save us. What is God trying to make them realize? They've been trusting in other things other than him to save them. They've, in other words, what's really happening here is political alliances. They would make political alliances with foreign kingdoms and they would take those foreign gods and they would make them a part of their gods. Well, this all started with King Solomon. King Solomon was the wisest man on earth, but he also had a dark side just like we all do. And he loved many women. And the first woman that he married was a woman that God told him not to marry. He wasn't supposed to marry other people who did not believe in the one true God. And he wasn't supposed to multiply life. He had over 900 wives. The first woman he married was the king of Pharaoh's daughter, princess. And he built a palace for her. And the text says that her, she and other wives led his heart away from God in his old age. You say, well, why did he even do that? Well, because he justified his sin through a common practice of that day. 
You see, the common practice of that day was, if I marry someone from another kingdom, I will bring peace. And a lot of us do this. We look at common practices that the world does, and we say, oh, if I do this, then this will bring me my success. And what we don't realize is the very thing that we want to do is actually against God. And so we have to stop. We have to, we have to slow down. Is this something that, again, what are you eating? Who are you hanging around? Are you, what voice are you following? And if, if you got those things right, then you won't make this mistake. But we make this mistake because simply all traps that we fall into with sin is one common denominator. We lack faith in our trusting in something other than God. One common denominator. Every time. Matter of fact, Romans, or Revelation chapter 2 verse 5 this, by the way, is continual for Christians because there are some Christians who believe that repentance only happens once in our life. It's the time we went to the Billy Graham crusade and, re, you know, received Christ as our Savior or Greg Laurie or whatever, and we think, oh, that's all the repentance we need. Repentance is ongoing. The Greek word repentance is the word metanoia. It means to change your mind about how you see God and how you see yourself. And we constantly need to grow in this area and the reason why I know repentance is just for us and we're supposed to continually confess is not only because we have scriptures, but because in Revelation chapter 2, Jesus is writing one of the biggest churches of the day, one of the oldest churches of the day, and he writes the church of Ephesus and he says this to them, you have left your first love. This one thing I have against you, you've left your first love. And then he says this in verse 5, consider how far you've fallen, repent and do the things you did at first. Change your mind, get out of the hole. Repent, humble yourself. And my question to you today is, what have you put in place of God that you've trusted in that's taking you away from God? Only God can tell you that. There have been so many times God has brought me face to face with what I've been trusting in that has actually taken me from my devotion into him. And uh, he, he will reveal it to you if you let him. And then we are to confess it. When we wonder from God, how does God turn us back? God calls us to confess our dependence on him. Last but not least, when we turn back to God, God's righteousness heals our wounds. Did you notice in here, he doesn't want them to give animal sacrifices. He just wants them to be broken. Why? Because they can't pay him back. He is going to have to pay for them. Look at what he says in verse 4 through verse 7. I will heal their, I, God, I will heal their waywardness and love them freely for my anger has turned away from them. In Jesus Christ, we were declared righteous by faith and God's anger was placed on Jesus Christ, not us for our sins. This is the gospel. I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like a lily, like a cedar of Lebanon. He will send down his roots. His young shoots will grow up. His splendor will be like an olive tree and his fragrance like a cedar of Lebanon. People will dwell again in his shade and they will flourish like the grain. They will blossom like the vine. Israel's fame will be like the wine of Lebanon. It's interesting. Every single thing that he mentions here, they're all trees or flowers that thrive in drought situations. God is almost implicitly applying, here's what it's going to look like. I'm going to heal you, and there will be times in your life where it will be hard, but you're going to rely back on me because I'm going to heal you and give you faith. And that's what he does for all of us when we repent and turn. 
Because why did we leave him in the first place? It's because we thought there was something better to him in our times of drought. And so what's he do? He makes us like olive trees. And olive trees, the roots are shallow so that the water can get to them faster. And that's why they survive drought. He makes us just like the lily. And notice he says the dew that wets the lily because in the desert, willies, lilies, willies, <laughs> lilies don't survive without being watered by dew in the morning. What he's saying is, I'm going to make you drought resistant. You're going to stay faithful to me when you used to fall away. And I'm, I'm convinced of this. The more and more God convicts us and we turn to him, the more and more God has of us. And the longer we stay faithful to him. God's righteousness heals our wounds. I'm going to end with this illustration. I used this several weeks ago, but it's such a powerful illustration. I love it because it's very, very true. There was once a son who was 18 years old, and uh, he had a girlfriend that his parents didn't approve of. And they got in a very big fight the night before. And this is a true story. And, And so he decided, I'm 18. The next day he left without telling them. He ran away. Him and his girlfriend went, ran away, and they were gone. And the very next day, within 24 hours, they reached out to the media. They reached out to the troopers, and they put the word out. And there was a huge search for this 18-year-old. Two weeks later, the son shows up at the house and says, what's the deal? I'm 18. Why did you send the troopers to search for me? Why did you, you know, post my, that I'm lost on media? What is the deal? And mom came up to him with tears in her eyes and says, son, you don't understand. You remember all those health tests we were doing before you left? We found out you had cancer and we needed to find you and tell you. See, what if we continue to run from God because we think he wants to ruin us and really what he wants to do is heal us? And that's what God is doing with Israel in the book of Hosea. Robbie's going to come up here and lead us in Come Thou Art. Or come thou found of every blessing. But before he does, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and your truth. We thank you that, Lord God, when we wonder, you don't just let us go. That you over and over again reach out to us through the Holy Spirit, through other Christians. And I pray, Lord God, help our hearts to be sensitive to you. Help our hearts to not wander, but to fixate themselves on you. Father, I pray that you'd forgive us for all the things we've put between you and us, money, sex, greed, drugs, whatever it is. Lord God, we want you to be our everything. We want you to take the wheel of our lives. We want you to be in control. So, Father, we pray that you'd be with those who don't know you as their Savior, that they would see that you love them, but yet you're against their sin, but that you want them to be healed and turn to you. We thank you, Lord God. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Please stand. Come thou fount of every blessing to my heart to sing thy praise. 
forget to say hello to someone you don't know and also um, we'll see you at the baptisms bring a rain jacket I think there's eight of them eight right nine people getting baptized go celebrate that with us